have a seat. Yes, we got this uh, mic set up for somebody a little taller than me, uh, but I want to welcome you here this morning. If uh, you are a guest, uh, first of all, those who are in Sunday school, you guys and gals can be dismissed right now. Then if you're here as a guest for the very first time, uh, on the bulletin there is an extra flap. If you would fill that out and put it in the offering box, which is on the welcome table as you leave, we sure appreciate that. And if you are part of a regular church family and you have a prayer request or something that you're interested in getting involved or something, you can fill that out as well and put it in the offering box. Just a couple of announcements I want to call to your attention. First of all, there is going to be practice for a Mother's Day choir. I think this is a gals only thing. Uh, in the fellowship hall after this service. So you, those who are interested in participating in that, that'd be great. Uh, a lot of other things on the, on the horizon here, a lot of things in the bulletin. So I really want to challenge you to read the bulletin. I'm not going to go through everything because you'll not listen to me anyway. And uh, that's it. But I will say this, uh, two things. One, the, the Shens are having a, a party on the 14th, so sign up out there, and I've been told that they, they would like to expand it. Uh, evidently, Ken Taylor has a f fun game plan, so they want to expand it, so that's on the 14th sign-up sheet out there. And also, wanted to let you know that uh, their, the Markarts are gonna be leaving us, and they're having a, a party at their house on the 14th as well. So you can look at the, all that's in the bulletin, lots of other things in the bulletin, so make note of that. We're really privileged this morning to hear from uh, two uh, good and godly guys. Uh, so the first one to lead off a double barrel approach is going to be our, our own Gene Arns. So Gene is going to come up and share a bit of his story. As some of you know, some of you don't know, Gene will be celebrating his 103rd birthday on Friday. Is that right? Friday, May 6th. Yes. So he's going to be 103. So we're... Uh, uh, and, and I want you to know that, that Gene was very reluctant to come and share, but his heart is that this is not about him. And I told Gene, I said, Gene, you just share what God's been doing in your life, and it's going to bring glory to God. And uh, you, I've never heard him speak in any way that didn't do so. So Gene's going to come, and then right after Gene comes, Micah, I'm not going to introduce you formally. So Micah Tuttle, a missionary that uh, a church here has been part involved with and supported and people know uh, and is a great guy and you'll find out that his passion for Jesus is genuine, real, and convicting. So I'm looking forward to hearing from both these guys. Gene, you're on. Uh, thank you, Pastor. Good morning. <clears throat> I, I first came to this church about uh, three years ago because I lived close to it. And I was looking for a church that was close because my regular church was clear across town, south of Des Moines. I didn't want to drive that far anymore. It took me about a half hour to get there or more longer. So I came here and found them welcoming, found them friendly. Pastor preached the word of God out of the Bible. He gave out the uh, plan of salvation. And you don't get that in a lot of churches today. And so I uh, thought it was a great place to be. And I've made a lot of friends here. Uh, you're great people, wonderful people. And uh, now they've asked me to come up here and say something about what I've been doing all these years. <laughs> Said, you're getting kind of old. You ought to have been doing something. <laughs> and so I uh, 
So I uh, am going to tell you something about that. You think I'm going to tell you all the bad things I've done? No way. The good things, yeah. But that'll shorten the message a lot, too. <laughs> I was born in Waterloo, Iowa, May 6, 1919. I had some wonderful parents. They were industrious, they were hardworking, they were thrifty, they were 100% German on both sides, and so that's what I am, of course. They were also 100% Lutheran, German Lutheran, and so I was raised Lutheran, baptized in a, as a baby, went through their con con confirmation classes and other rituals and so forth, and learned a lot of good stuff, but I never got saved. Years later, when I was 22 years old, I found out that Christ, uh, when he died on the cross of Calvary, he was dying for the sins of the world, and that included me, and that he had already done the work. He'd already paid my sin debt. And uh, it was by grace through faith, and that uh, all I needed to do was believe it. Well, I became a believer in Jesus Christ as my Savior. It's the best thing I've ever done in my whole life. And uh, getting back to my childhood in Waterloo, when I was 13, my folks moved to Cedar Falls. And so I went to school in Cedar Falls, graduated from Cedar Falls High School. You know, I was talking to a man here in the church, John Roskam, found out he was from Cedar Falls, also had graduated from that great, great school of Cedar Falls. And uh, we were talking, he graduated in 1957, I graduated in 1937, 20 years difference. And we had some of the same teachers. And I thought that was very, very good. Teachers were dedicated in those days. <clears throat> Concerning my family, I've had two wives. My first wife, Hazel, we were married for 42 years. We've had two children. My daughter, Jackie, she was born in 1947. My son, Chris, was born in 1959, 17 years between them. Chris lives in San Diego, California with his family. Jackie lives in Ocala, Florida. She's a widow, and she has a daughter living by her. And uh, I have five grandchildren. One of them has passed away, and I have four living. One of them has moved up here from Arizona, uh, Mike, and he's with us. He's been coming to church with me, and I appreciate that. I have uh, eight great-grandchildren and five great-great-grandchildren. Well, Hazel, who I was married to for 42 years, had those two children with, she passed away in 1981 at the early age of 61. She had cancer, 
And uh, a little over a year later, I married Betty, a wonderful Christian gal. She'd lost her husband uh, as in an early, he was an early, uh, he died young also. So we had a wonderful marriage for 34 years. Betty died in 2016, five and a half years ago, and she uh, died of a massive stroke, and she was 92 years old. So I've been alone now for a little over five years, about five and a half years, getting along fine. In uh, 1941, the Japanese bombed Pearl Harbor, as you know. And this country got in gear. They really united behind this war effort. Women went to work in uh, munitions factories. Never happened before. And uh, everybody got behind the war effort. There were things that were rationed. Coffee was rationed. Uh, gasoline, of course, and sugar and other things. But nobody complained. This war effort was uh, united. United States of America, and of course, we won the war. And it's all, it was altogether different than it is today, for sure. Uh, I did not volunteer in the service because I had, a, I had a wife and a baby, but I got drafted. And I chose the Navy. They gave you a choice, Navy, Army, Marine Corps. So I chose the Navy. It was a good choice for me. And after boot camp at Farragut, Idaho, I was sent to two radio schools. And after that, I was sent out to the island of Guam doing radio uh, intelligence work. It was good work, and I enjoyed it. And so I was in the Navy for three and a half years. After I got out back home, I wanted to go to school, wanted to go to college, had the GI Bill of Rights to do it. So I picked chiropractic college, probably my dad influenced me quite a bit there. He'd gone to chiropractors and, and they were doing him a lot of good and so I investigated it and I went to the National College of Chiropractic for, it was a four-year course and I practiced chiropractic for 35 years. And uh, during that time, I got into some diligent Bible study I really had the urge to preach. And uh, I was studying the Bible, Schofield Reference Bible with all its notes. I got a hold of some commentaries, reading them and some books on preaching. I had several pastors coming to me for treatment and they helped me a lot, taught me a lot of things and even let me preach in their pulpits once in a while. Bob, uh, Joe Balson was, a, was one of these pastors, and a lot of you folks know Joe Balson. Uh, he was one of the brethren, and uh, he uh, taught me a lot of things. We became good friends. He gave me some books. He also gave me a Darby Bible. 
And if any of you folks, I've still got it, and if any of you folks want that Darby Bible, you'd be welcome to it. Just see me. And so, after I retired from chiropractic in 1983, I had opportunities, God blessed. I had opportunity to do some preaching, preached in one church for six years and was interim pastor in a couple and did some other preaching and and time went by and in the later years I taught uh, Bible classes in a number of uh, retirement homes around town, around this area. Off and on and uh, about eight years about eight years ago, I gave all that up because I had to stay home or needed to stay home with Betty. She was ill with heart problems and had some, a couple of heart surgeries and so forth. I needed to take care of her, which I was happy to do. And of course, she passed away in, uh, in 2016. So uh, that brings us up to the present time. And I'm looking forward to seeing the Lord. I'm looking forward to uh, going and being with him. I'm happy to stay here as long as he wants me to. Like it here. Love all you people. A lot of other people. Do I see some people back there that I know? Cain and Caitlin. God bless you came here. <laughs> Good to see you. And... Uh, So I'm looking forward to that day when I see my Savior face to face, see those scars in his hands, died for me on the cross of Calvary, paid my sin debt, all my sins forgiven, not that I deserve it, all by grace through faith, not of myself, but what he's done for me. And I praise and praise him, and I hope everyone here knows him as their Savior and their Lord have that happiness and that deep down joy that I've got that have him know. Wonderful to know Christ, the best thing you'll ever do. And so I'm looking forward to seeing him when he takes me by the hand and leads me through the glory land. What a day, what a day that will be. So anyway, you folks have been wonderful and you're good friends and I love you all. Can we pray? Father in heaven, thank you for your goodness, your blessings, your love, your mercy, your shed blood on the cross of Calvary for our sins. Thank you for these wonderful people. We pray rich blessings upon this church, upon the leadership, the pastor, the elders, the deacons. Thank you for the gospel that goes forth here and from the, for the word of God and know that it does some real good to those that come. So Lord, we just thank you for this day. Guide and direct the remainder of the service. Bless the one who preaches. Give him liberty in the pulpit. Fill him with the Holy Spirit. Use him for your glory, praise, and honor that people might be blessed and others might see their need for Christ. Thank you for it all. We pray in Jesus' name. Love you, Lord. Amen.
that, uh, that was amazing. I can't believe that Gene is 103. It does not look like he's 103. I just, as I'm sitting back there listening, thinking and listening, I just like, I want to be like that. I want to end well, end well. Um, I, I love that, that story of David and Goliath where I'm not going to preach this, but uh, just in, in that 1 Samuel 17, and, and Goliath comes out, the, this huge mountain of a man, 10 feet tall or whatever he would have been, but he just cries out to the armies of Israel, give me a man, give me a man, give me a man, and you can kind of imagine that, that deep uh, giant voice, that he warrior voice that he would have said that with, and and, and, I, and it's just amazing to me that like a whole month, more than a month goes by. It's 40 days and 40 nights where he comes out and he, and he cries that battle cry, give me a man. And, and no men come out to fight. There's no men for more than a month that, are, that come out that are willing to fight in the Lord's battles. And I was just, I was thinking of that as listening to Gene. And it's like, give me a man. Where are the men today? We're the men like that, that like started well, continue well, finish well, all the way to 103 years old, and maybe he's got 30 more, 40 more years. Uh, man, to finish well, where are the men? Where are the men? So I was going to preach on Revelation, but I was just back there thinking, no, I, I, I'm going to, I just felt like after that, I, so many men, they're just, they're, they're, they're dropping off like flies. So many men that uh, it's probably happened in your circles. Maybe you know men that have started out well and, and seem to be maybe even great men of God. But something just happened and a huge fall. A huge fall, just like two years ago in, in Dubuque where we were, man, fantastic ministry was starting there and uh, one of the guys that we're working closely with just seemed like a great, a great guy, like everything was going good, it seemed like, and just all of a sudden one night he just leaves his wife and his kids for another man. And these kind of things are happening everywhere. What is happening to us? Where are the men? They really stand up and resist temptation. It is a battle. We're in a war, a spiritual battle. Where are the men? Like Gene, warriors to the very end, resisting temptation, fighting in the spiritual battle, leading their families. Oh, and so I was just reminded of this passage in Mark chapter 14. And this is that, that famous passage of where Peter falls. And he tells the Lord that he would never deny him. It's impossible. Maybe everyone else will deny you. And then we see like five or six steps where he just kind of drifts from the Lord. And it seems like he's taking these steps and doesn't even realize what's happening. I'm, I'm almost sure he doesn't realize what's happening. And then he gets to this point where he commits this sin and denies the Lord three times. I don't know. I don't know this man. I don't know this man. I don't even know who you're talking about. And he does something that he didn't think was, was even possible. And the warning, man, this passage is just a huge warning to me. And I want it to serve as a huge warning to you. Don't go down that path. Where you come to this point where you just, we're, we're capable of committing the worst of sins. 
I'm capable of committing the, the most heinous of sins possible. Oh, pray for me. Pray for me that I would finish well like Jean. Let us pray for one another that, that we would be men and women that finish strong. Oh, I, I'm sorry, I wasn't going to say all that, but now, yeah, just getting into this passage, I, I was going to put a video on, I don't even know. Uh, okay, just, just put, the, put this video on, it's like five minutes, just, I guess it's, it's kind of giving a, it, it, it kind of goes in and out of the United States, the Lord, thank you, you guys have supported us over the years, financially, prayerfully, last month we got a, a financial gift through CMML from you guys, and we're, we're so thankful, and uh, we, we were 20 years about in, in, in Peru, um, planting churches and making disciples and doing evangelism. The Lord has brought us back to the States for a few years to encourage His people in the areas of evangelism, discipleship, church planting, and missions, and uh, all I want to do is just go back to Peru. Um, but uh, the Lord has us here, and uh, He's doing exciting things. We've been in California for the last year trying to help with the church plant there, the dark, dark land of California. And um, anyway, so this video kind of, it, it goes in and out of ministry in the United States. We're, we're a, a couple of months of the year, we're in Peru. And so, yeah, you get a kind of a glimpse of, of ministry and, and uh, uh, evangelism and discipleship in both places. So let me, let me just put that on real quick and keep your finger there in Mark 14. And um, I'm about to rain thunder on you from Mark 14. So. so right now we are in New York City in Times Square with all of the lights and all of the distractions. And I'm mean, what an illustration of the world in which we live. We live in a generation that is more distracted than ever before. Distractions everywhere. Preach as if Christ had been crucified yesterday risen today and coming again tomorrow. Preach with urgency. We live in dark times. We live in a valley praying for revival in the land. Praying for revival in the land. I, I say one thing before I get into this. Um, my, my, my family, I, I was teaching at a Bible Institute. I'm one of the directors in a Bible Institute in Lubbock, Texas. And last week I was teaching there and um, the plan was to fly into Des Moines, be here with you all today, and, and my family is driving from Portland, Oregon. Amy's driving across the country with our, four of our kids, and um, they broke down uh, in Utah, so they are on the side of the road right now uh, in their tent, uh, and uh, so that's why they're not here, so uh, we, you can pray for them when you think of it. <laughs> They'll surely be here tomorrow or maybe the next day, but. Mark chapter 14, Mark chapter 14, um, I'll, I'll be starting I guess in, in verse 26, but uh, let, me, let me start with this, um, once in Peru, um, we were on the coast of Peru at this time and a, 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 a brother had a, had a surfboard and, and a couple of wetsuits and uh, so he took me out surfing and, and uh, we, were, we were out there in the ocean ready, trying to catch some waves and uh, there was a bunch of surfers out there and as we're floating on our boards there I was you know, trying, to, trying to share the gospel with other, other surfers that were floating around. And, uh, anyway, after a little while there was no longer any surfers next to me. And uh, it seemed they had all taken these waves, and I was, I was waiting for the big waves. I was trying to get the big ones. And so uh, they're, they're, they weren't big enough for me. And finally, I, I heard 
Brother Marcos, who had taken me out, he's way, he seemed like the, a little ant, way on the, on the shore almost. But I hear this, just barely hear him saying, Hermano Miqueas, el mar está llevándote. Brother Micah, the ocean is taking you out. And I realize all of a sudden, yeah, there's nobody around me. All the other surfers are way, way towards the sand, towards the beach. And, and actually, there's no, there's no more waves. I'm like beyond the waves. And the tide had changed. It had taken me out. And all of a sudden, I'm, I like start panicking. And so I start trying to swim. And the, 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 it's like against the current. I was stuck out in the ocean for like five hours. Thankfully, I was on, in my wetsuit, and I was on my board floating there, and uh, a couple of times a big seal popped up right next to me and just looked at me, and, but uh, it, was, it was kind of terrifying. Um, but you know what? This serves as a great illustration of how sin, little by little, without even recognizing what's happening, just kind of causes you to drift, and it takes you out, drawing you away from the Lord without even realizing it, until you get into this position where it's extremely dangerous. You're an extreme in an extremely dangerous situation. You've drifted so far, and maybe some of you have come this morning. And without even recognizing, without even really knowing what has happened, you've just drifted from the Lord. And you have got so far away that you are on the brink of a major, major fall. And this is a warning passage right here that we see the fall of Peter. And I want to show you how little steps that he took made him, caused him to drift from the Lord. And he got into this position where he committed this sin that he thought it wasn't even possible. So I want to show you some of these steps. Look at this. Mark 14, verse 26. And when they had sung a hymn, they went out from the Mount of Olives. And Jesus said to them, You will all fall away, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. But after I am raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. And Peter said to him, Even though they all fall away, I will not. And Jesus said to him, Truly I tell you, this very night before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. But he emphatically said, If I must die with you, I will not, I will not deny you. And they all said the same. So I just kind of ask you, do you see any problem in Peter right there? Pride. Exactly. exactly. It kind of, maybe everybody else is going to deny you, but not me. That's impossible. Maybe everybody else will deny you, but uh, so, so I really see kind of pride and, and self-confidence there. You know, I think he should have said, Lord, I am capable of the worst of sins. I know that in and of myself, I, I am a sinner, sinner, sinner. You, you are holy, holy, holy. Help me. I need help. Crying out to the Lord. But he doesn't do that. It's just kind of like, maybe everybody else is going to fall away, but not me. Impossible. Pride and self-confidence. Um... You know, I've, uh, I, I heard a story about Harry Ironside and how he, he felt like he was, he was really struggling with pride, um, really feeling like, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm a, just a great Christian, great preacher, I'm the, I'm the best. There's nobody, nobody really on my level. 
And, and he realized he was struggling with this pride, so he thought, you know, something that'll just kind of shut that pride down and uh, have a humbling experience, I'll put a sandwich board on and walk through the streets of, of, um, of downtown Chicago with this, this sandwich board that says, repent, Jesus is coming. And so he did that, he walked all day through, through the streets of Chicago and with the sandwich board on, he just got mocked. People threw tomatoes at him, and I mean, just hours and hours on the street just getting mocked. At the end of the day, I mean, just having been mocked all day, he, gets, he goes back to his apartment and, and he just he takes the sandwich board off and he, and he thought to himself, boy, I, I bet no other Christian would be as bold as, as I am and courageous to, to go through the streets like that. Isn't that how, that's exactly how pride is. Somebody has said, pride is the dandelion of the soul. Its roots go deep, only a little left behind and it sprouts again. Its seeds lodge in the tiniest encouraging cracks and it flourishes in good soil. The danger of pride is that it feeds on goodness. You know, the assemblies, I love the assemblies. Um, this is an assembly. You guys have assembly roots anyway. Um, and I have this unique opportunity of, of being able to preach in, in, in assemblies, different kinds of churches across the country. And um, I think this is a major problem in our churches. I think we're just prideful. And right there in that last part of what this guy David Rhodes said, the danger of pride is that it feeds on goodness. You know, you can get into this kind of this rut where we do church right and nobody else kind of gets it like we do. We understand that we're people of the book. The others, they're kind of, and this pride kind of comes. And man, it's just a major step away from the Lord. Warning, 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 oh, to fall into this trap of pridefulness. And I mean, I, I feel this. I can feel like uh, I, I'm a missionary, I'm a preacher. And, and man, the devil just wants to come in with pride in any kind of direction he can do that. And just that's where the fall begins. That's what it seems like is the fall of Satan, Lucifer. You read about it in Isaiah 14, Ezekiel 28. It seems to, to be talking about the fall of this angel in heaven, Lucifer. And really, it began with pride. Oh, brothers and sisters, oh, that we, we've got to be humble. So, so Peter, his first step, he kind of steps away from the Lord. Peter, one of, one of the the Maybe first and foremost of the disciples, that inner three, Peter, James, and John, and here Peter kind of lifting himself in pride. If everyone denies you, I will not. I'm the best. I'm the best of the disciples. Oh, d the danger of pride. Next, next step. Um, going on from there, here, we'll just pick it up there where I left off in 32. And they went to a place called Gethsemane, and he said to his disciples, sit here while I pray. And he took with him Peter, James, and John, and he began to be greatly distressed and troubled. And he said to them, my soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch. And going a little farther, he fell down on his, or he fell down on the ground, and he prayed that if it were possible, the hour might pass from him. And he said, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. Verse 37, and he came and he found them sleeping. And he said to Peter, Simon, are you asleep? 
Can you not watch one hour? Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit is indeed willing, but the flesh is weak. So, so yeah, just a lot of things that you could say right there, but I just really want to focus on one. What's Peter's problem there? Does anybody see? Any, anybody see a problem in Peter? He's sleeping. I mean, how many of you slept last night? Most of us slept last night, some better than others, but sleeping isn't a sin, obviously. But you know, there are certain times for certain things. Everything has its time. It's interesting, when you look at it, really, Satan offers us immediate satisfaction. Um, whereas usually, God is, he also is offering us the ultimate satisfaction. And I, I want the greatest, and I want the maximum satisfaction in life. But almost always, the maximum satisfaction is, is it deferred. Satisfaction deferred rather than immediate satisfaction. We could go into yeah, a whole study on temptation and sin. And all, all those things that Satan offered Jesus in, in the temptation in the desert, all of those weren't, weren't wrong in and of themselves, but they were wrong at that time. Eat. He had been fasting. For him, it was wrong at that time to turn stones into bread and eat. And you could go through each one of those things. Really, all of those things that are offered by Satan weren't wrong in and of themselves, but they're wrong at the time. Right here in this story, Jesus is, he's just, I mean, you see him, he's sweating like great drops of blood. We know the story as he's praying in Gethsemane, he's crying out to the Lord. He's asked his disciples to pray with him. His three closest disciples, come with me, just get on your knees, cry out to the Lord. And, and then, and Jesus is pouring out his soul before the Lord in agony. And then he gets up, he goes to his, his brothers, Peter, James, and John, closest disciples, and he finds them snoring. Sleeping when they should have been praying. That's what I want to really emphasize. They should have been praying. But here he just finds them sleeping. You know, I heard a story about a, uh, a small town in Texas that um, had several churches in this town, but there was no nightclub. And this guy was a, a guy was coming through the town, and he noticed this, and, and he's a businessman, and he thought, well, I can put a nightclub in this town and, and probably make a lot of money um, with this nightclub. A lot of youth, uh, no, no competition for nightclubs. So he puts his nightclub in, and uh, after a, a couple of weeks, um, the churches, uh, all the pastors started to get together these churches and, and pray that the Lord would remove this nightclub. And... Uh, after about a week of praying, a, uh, a lightning storm came through the town. A lightning bolt hit the, uh, the nightclub, and, and it caught on fire, burned to the ground. And, uh, and so the owner of the nightclub took the pastors to court. And uh, the owner of the nightclub, he, he presented his, his case before the court and everything. I, I heard, I knew, everybody knew these pastors were praying against my nightclub that the Lord would remove it. And, the, and God sent this lightning storm and lightning bolt and it burned down my nightclub. The pastors have to pay. It's their fault. They're praying for this. And then the pastors, they present their case and they're like, oh, I'm judge. Come on. Yeah, we were praying but, uh, I mean, this is, this is an act of Mother Nature. This is, I mean, just a random act, <laughs> the, the, the lightning storm and everything. How are you going to, you know, blame us? And, and then the, the judge said, well, this is very interesting. While the uh, owner of the nightclub believes in the power of prayer, the pastors don't. <laughs> and I, that is just such, I mean, that, that should hurt. 
do we really believe in the power of prayer? And really, you can see, really, you demonstrate how much you believe in the power of prayer by how much you pray. How much do you really pray? As an individual, do you have a prayer closet? Do you get down on your knees for any significant amount of time during the day? In the morning? In the evening? At midday? Do you get together with your spouse and pray? Do you get together as a family and pray? This one's going to hurt. I, I have no idea. Nobody's told me. I don't know. But I, this is almost the case in all churches. I'll say it this way. Somebody has said, you can tell how popular a church is by how many people come on Sunday morning. You can tell how popular the preacher is by how many people come on Sunday night. You can tell how popular Jesus is by how many people come to prayer meeting. Prayer meeting is almost always the least attended meeting in any kind of church across the board. What has happened to us? I, 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 was going, I wasn't going to preach this, but I just felt, man, I, where are the men? And, and a warning to men. I was going to preach from Revelation and I wanted to look at Laodicea, the, the seventh church, and, and it's lukewarm. And man, the church by and large... It, it, Across the world today, in, in, in this generation in which we live, we're, we live in the more, most distracted generation to ever walk the planet. And, and you saw that as in the video, I'm there in Times Square, just distractions everywhere. And that's the world, we live in the United States, this is Disneyland. You come from Peru, the jungles of Peru, and you step off the airplane in, in, in Miami, and it's just like, you can feel it immediately. I mean, Disneyland is trying to suck you in. Just distract you from really what's important. That, that it, we're at the center of it. The United States of America. More distracted than ever before. We're falling asleep when we should be praying. We're checking the scores to the game when we should be reading our Bibles. We're checking Facebook and scrolling through and, and social media and everything when we really should be with the people of God, on our knees, on our faces, before God, worshiping Him. Oh, the distractions are everywhere. Think about what's really important. Look at this Peter. I mean, he's sleeping when he should have been praying. You know, another thing that's interesting right there in that verse 37, he finds them sleeping and he said to Peter, Simon, are you asleep? Why does he call him Simon? His name was Peter. You all know that before Peter's name was Peter, it was Simon. He was Simon, and then he met the Lord Jesus, and Jesus said on that day, from now on, we're going to call you Peter, and on this rock, I'll be, build my church. And so he changed his name from Simon to Peter. You know, and I, I think here, and, and then from then on, when Jesus changes his name, for the rest through the Gospels, except for right here, Jesus always calls him Peter, but here he calls him Simon. Why? I think he's kind of calling, calling, calling him out. You know, when I used to, when I'd get in trouble when I was a kid, my dad, he'd say, Micah James Tuttle? He'd say my full name, and I knew that if he said Micah James Tuttle, 
I was in big trouble. Spankings were coming, and I knew I deserved it. But he's calling me out. Jesus, I, I think here, is, he's calling out Peter. Simon, couldn't you just stay awake for one hour? The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. It's battle time right now. Here we are at the end of the ages. The church has gone lukewarm everywhere. Oh, brothers and sisters, we've got to get on our knees and pray, pray, pray. Humble yourselves. Get rid of that pride that's growing up within me. I've got to start praying once again. Brothers and sisters, really, I'm, I'm preaching to myself. I have this gift of offending people. I'm sorry if you're offended, but I'm just, I'm preaching to myself, and you have to listen in. <laughs> going back, kind of just going through these steps, Peter, maybe he's in the pulpit preaching. Jesus has given him opportunities to preach as they're doing their circuits, and they're going, and he, Jesus is an itinerant preacher with his disciples along the way, and, and Peter has these opportunities to go out and do ministry, but all of a sudden, he kind of takes his step away from Jesus. What was the first one? Pride. Confidence in himself takes a major step kind of away from Jesus, out of the pulpit, so to speak. Second step, what, what was it? Let's, just, let's call it sleeping when he should have been praying. Another step, uh, away from Jesus, where he was, I mean, man, going good with Jesus, and then something happens. And once again, I want to emphasize, I think that Peter doesn't even realize what's happening. We, we do this, don't we? You don't even realize what's happening. Slowly, you just start to neglect prayer. It, it, it kind of this pride, a religious pride, <laughs> grabs a hold of us. L let's go on now. Uh, pick it up in, in verse 43. And immediately while he was still speaking, Judas came, one of the twelve with him, and a crowd with swords and clubs from the chief priests, and the scribes and elders. Now the betrayer had given him a sign saying, The one who I kiss is the man. Seize him and lead him away under guard. And when he came, he went up to him at once and he said, Rabbi. That's, I'm sure how they said it. Rabbi. And he kissed him. And, he, and they laid hands on him and seized him. But one of those who stood by drew his sword and struck the servant to the high priest and cut off his ear. Real quickly, there's, there's a different message here, but I just want to throw in, look at Judas, he kissed Jesus. He betrays Jesus with a kiss. You know, it's interesting to think, Judas, he kissed the door to heaven, literally kissed the door to heaven, and then went to hell. Jesus said, I am the door, John chapter 10. Jesus is the door. Judas literally kissed the door to heaven. Well, I, I mean, yeah, saying with that, Jesus, Judas was so close. He kissed the door to heaven and then he went to hell. He's called the son of perdition. He went to hell. One of the, one of the 12 disciples. I mean, he walked around. He had the, the best friend that anybody could ever have. The wisest counselor that anybody could ever have. The best pastor or shepherd that anybody could ever have. He saw these miracles. He probably even did miracles. 
He was sent out in those two by two that went before Jesus and did miracles and cast out demons and preached the good news. Judas was one of those. He sat in the front row of a brethren assembly. And then he went to hell. Warning, warning, warning. And then getting back to Peter here, well, in verse 46, it says they laid hands on him and, he, and they seized him. 47, but one who stood by drew his sword and struck the servant to the high priest and cut off his ear. Who was that? It's Peter, right? But how do you know? It doesn't say Peter. John. One of the other gospels, it's like one of the other disciples, it was Peter, it was Peter who did it. You know, Mark, the gospel of Mark was probably written, Mark is writing, John Mark is writing this gospel, and it's probably Peter by his side, letting him know, the, and then we did this, and then we went there. And as Peter's probably telling Mark, he's like, you know, don't put my name in there. It was just like this, there was this guy that had this sword, and he drew it and like cut off the ear, but don't put my name in. We know it's Peter, though, from, from the other apostles tell us. It was Peter. But um, so he draws his sword, cuts off this ear of, of you know, the, the helper of the high priest. And what's wrong with that? I mean, kind of, he's, he's defending the Lord. You could, you could almost, I heard a sermon about this and they really, they defended it. This is, this, and this is a good passage for guns and, and uh, you know, weapons. And uh, I like guns. I'm not against guns, but... Uh, What's wrong with Peter right here? I mean, there could be several things. But violence isn't the answer. Um, what's the Christian sword? The word. This, is, this should be our sword. You know, who, who preached at Pentecost? It was Peter. And if you read that passage in Acts 2, Peter is preaching and he, he's using the sword. He's using the correct sword. He, he's, he's quoting passage out of passage after passage out of the Old Testament. And he is using that sword. And how many souls got saved in Acts chapter 2 when he uses the correct sword? It's 3,000. How many ears is that? 6,000 ears. And right here, he's using the wrong sword and one wimpy little ear. I mean, yeah, I'm joking. But uh, I want to emphasize here, he's using the wrong sword. First, it's pride. Then he's sleeping when he should have been praying. And now, striking with the wrong sword. So, um, here, let, let me just illustrate, Brother Clarkson. Let's, we're we're going to, oh, you, you, can, you can just stay right there. Oh, you can stand up if you Okay, here, so we'll suppose uh, I'm Peter, and, and Peter pulls out his sword, and, and I think that Peter, like, I think you should try to put yourself in the story. Imagine, I think that Peter is, is going for this guy's head. I, I don't think he's just, okay, ear, ear, don't move. No, no, he's going for the guy's head. But, of course, the guy, he, he wants to, you know, conserve his ear. So as the sword comes, what are you going to do? Probably, you know, duck. One it's better if you go this way. <laughs> yeah. And so the sword just catches his ears. What I imagine is happening right there. He, you know, he, but what I want to emphasize here is he's, he's using the wrong sword. 
He's using the wrong sword. And when we see him using the sword later on, man, the results are way better. The Bible, let me read this quote. Here's a quote on, uh, on those blank pages in the back of your Bible or anywhere there's a blank page. Whenever you find a good quote, you should just write it in there. Um, not that it's in inspired uh, scripture, but uh, almost. This is really good. An unknown author wrote these words about the Bible. And, and this, you can find this quote on the, the front page of the Gideon's Bibles, the Gideon's New Testaments. They have this quote. It's an unknown author who wrote this, but it's, it kind of is, um, it's an explanation of what the Bible is. Listen to this. This book is the mind of God, the state of man, the way of salvation, the doom of sinners, and the happiness of believers. Its doctrines are holy, its precepts are binding, its histories are true, and its decisions are immutable. Read it to be wise, believe it to be safe, practice it to be holy. It contains light to direct you, food to support you, and comfort to cheer you. It's the traveler's map, the pilgrim's staff, the pilot's compass, the soldier's sword, and the Christian's charter. Here paradise is restored, heaven is opened, and the gates of hell disclosed. Christ is its grand subject, our good its design, and the glory of God its end. It should fill the memory, rule the heart, guide the feet. Read it slowly, frequently, prayerfully. It is a mine of wealth, a paradise of glory, and a river of pleasure. Follow its precepts, and it will lead you to Calvary. To an empty tomb, to a resurrected life in Christ, yes, and to glory itself for all of eternity. That is a good explanation of the Bible. That's, that's the Bible. And here, Peter, striking with the wrong sword. Striking with the wrong sword. We, assemblies, we used to be known as people of the book. I don't know if that's true anymore. Are we really? Or, and just individually, would someone say of you that that's a person of the book? That's a person of the book. He knows the scriptures, man. At, at, at every turn, he's, he's wanting to share the scriptures with somebody. Or you get together with another brother and just sharing. Uh, brother Anna, and, uh, just uh, yesterday and this morning also, just, man, he was opening up the scriptures and sharing this and that. We were talking about the prodigal son last night. And just at every moment, every time I'm with him, he's just, man, wanting to share something from the scriptures and encouraging one another. That's how we, we ought to be people of the book. But here, Peter Striking with the wrong sword. You know, one time in, in one of the villages, um, uh, I, I arrived, arrived at this village and I had given out some, some uh, comic New Testaments in this village. And uh, I didn't have any like entire Bibles or real Bibles with me when I had gone to this village on another occasion. So I gave out these comic New Testaments. And there was uh, these two brothers that were preaching uh, and they had started a church in the village with these comic New Testaments. They were preaching out these comic New Testaments. And when I got there, I had brought study Bibles with me with notes in the bottom and everything. And one of the brothers, uh, I, I gave him this, this study Bible. And he had tears in his eyes when he received a, a real Bible from Old Testament, New Testament, even study notes and concordance and everything. And he was so excited, he gave me, to pay for it, he gave me a baby alligator. And, and I, I just, I was so excited. I had tears in my eyes as I received this baby alligator and he had tears in his eyes as he received this Bible. But oh, but to see like 
A guy that receives the word of God and he's hungry for it. Oh, give me Bible and Bible alone. That's all I need in this life. That Christian's charter. This is what I need. Bible, Bible, Bible. Next, uh, well, here, let's, let's go. Let's just go back through those steps again. Peter, I, I'm, I'm the main, main man here. Right next to Jesus, preaching alongside. I'm casting out demons. What's his first step away from the Lord? Pride. Second step? Sleeping when he should have been praying. Neglecting prayer. Kind of getting farther from the Lord. Third step? Wrong sword. Or you could even say neglecting the Bible. What would have happened if he would have pulled out his little, you know, Old Testament uh, scroll and started like preaching to everybody instead of like pulling out his sword to cut off ears? I don't know. But so, okay. Have we, have we gone four yet? Or is that three? Is that Three. Okay, that's where we're at. Sorry, I almost lost, uh, lost my place. So next, next one right here. Um, let, let's, start, let's start in verse 53. Um, and they led Jesus to the high priest. And all the chief priests and the elders and the scribes came together. And Peter had followed him at a distance right into the courtyard of the high priest. Just stop right there. What's wrong with Peter there? He's following, following is good. He's following Jesus. But that little, just that little extra, he's following how? He's following at a distance. You know, I, I, I'm, this, this is a temptation at all times, kind of, at least um, when you're in a situation um, at work or um, with unbelieving friends, it's kind of like, I'm nervous to claim Christ. You know, I'm, I'm a Christian, but I don't want anybody to know. Sometimes, sometimes I struggle with that. It's a bit of a temptation in certain circles sometimes. And I've found the best way to do it is just be out and out from the beginning. Just no hiding it from the beginning and just let people know I'm a Bible-believing Christian. And, and I'm going to share Christ with you even if you mock me for it. But oftentimes it's kind of like, shh, can't hide very well behind that pulpit. This is bad. Shh. I'm a Christian, but I don't want anybody to know it. I, I think that that's oftentimes how we're kind of secret Christians. And it seems like right here, this is Peter. And you even see it more as you continue on, but he's following Jesus. He wants to follow Jesus. Jesus is being taken off to be crucified, and the soldiers are whipping him, and, and they're spitting on him and, and everything. And I'm sure Peter's heart is broken, and he's following along. What's going to happen? What's going to happen? But at the same time, he's afraid. And at the same time, here's, he's following Jesus, which is good, but he's following at a distance. I think that oftentimes... I'm guilty of this, following at a distance. Let me, let me read this. Um, let's see, where did, I think I have that written back here. This is, uh, I've written down how, oh no, it's in my Spanish Bible where I wrote that. Oh, I think I got that written over here. 
the list of how the, uh, the early apostles, leaders of, of the early church, how they died. Yeah, I've got it right here. L- listen to this. In the year 93, after Christ, the year 93, Luke was hanged. In the year 66, Paul was beheaded. In the year 64, Mark was dragged to death behind a horse. The same one that's writing this Gospel of Mark that we're in. Um, In the year 66, James, the brother of Jesus, half-brother of Jesus, he was thrown from the pinnacle of the temple in Jerusalem to the ground. Smashed his head open according to Jewish tradition, but he didn't quite die, so they finished him off with clubs. In the year 69, Peter, this guy that we're talking about, he's crucified upside down. They're going to crucify him, and he says, I'm not worthy to die like my Lord and Savior Jesus. If you're going to crucify me, do it upside down. Um, verse, or, uh, in the year 95, John, after writing the book of Revelation, he's boiled in oil. Actually, tradition says he survived it a few years after that he lived. Uh, year 35, James, he's slain with the sword. We get that story in the book of Acts by Herod. The year 70, Andrew is crucified. The year 54, Philip is crucified. The year 70, Thomas goes to India with the gospel, and he's speared to death. Bartholomew was skinned alive and then beheaded. Matthew in the year 60 AD was beheaded. James, the son of Alphaeus, was clubbed to death. Simon the Zealot crucified. Judas, the son of James, shot through with arrows. And you just go, and you could look down through church history, all of these martyrs, all of these martyrs, and, and, and you think of Peter being crucified upside down, this same guy right here, who's following Jesus at a distance. But he gets to this point, yeah, at Pentecost, and the Holy Spirit comes, and all of a sudden, he and the other apostles that are like cowards hiding out in that upper room they get the holy spirit and all of a sudden they go from cowards to like bold as lions going out with the gospel to anyone and everything everything that moves even going out to the other nations and we see just the spread of the gospel because it was born right there with the apostles full of the holy spirit but no longer following at a distance here we stand the year 2022 we're standing at the end of the ages We are so close to the return of Christ. Urgency, urgency, urgency. Oh, that we would go out boldly with the gospel, bold as lions, willing to even, if if they're going to crucify me, crucify me upside down. Can you imagine? All of the blood in your body would run to your head, and then you're trying to like push yourself up and breathe, and and the whole, and and, and, I mean, the pressure in your head, you it would explode from the pressure. I don't know, but what a horrific death. Horrific deaths that these guys were willing to suffer because they really believed that Jesus had risen from the dead. They really believed Jesus had paid the price for their sins, for our sins, and then proved it by rising from the dead. I mean, that changes everything. If that's true, this life is so short in comparison to eternity. Oh, and hearing from Gene, just looking forward to seeing the Lord, being with the Lord. And then that's for all of eternity. Right now is game time. Only one life to live, soon to have passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Don't follow the Lord at a distance. That's Peter right there. He's following the Lord at a distance. What a warning. Don't be like Peter here. Um, 
Okay, I, I'm sure I'm way over. What time was I supposed to end? Like, okay, I'm almost, I'm almost there. Let's go through the steps one more time. So, so the first step, Peter, he's with the Lord, and what happens? Pride, arrogance, confidence in himself rather than confidence in the Lord. Major step away from Jesus. I'll make it right there. Second step. Sleeping when he should have been praying. Sleeping is not bad, but neglecting prayer is. Major step away from Jesus. Third step. The wrong sword. He's not using his Bible. Major step also away. Fourth step. He's following Jesus, but at a distance. Now look, I'm real close to this door right here. I'm about to leave the church. Following at a distance. How many, I'm sure that this has probably happened here, but people that um, seem to be following the Lord and then kind of drifted and they took some of these same steps and they went out the doors of the church and they're no longer here. And I don't mean like they went to a different church, they're continuing with the Lord, they're going to, I mean they, they have gone to the world. They've abandoned the faith. You all have met people like this. And they should serve as a major warning. That could happen to you. These steps right here from Peter, major warning. Okay, the last one right here. Um, the same verse, verse 54. And Peter had followed him at a distance right into the courtyard of the high priest. And he was sitting with the guards and warming himself at the fire. So what's wrong with Peter there in that last half of the verse? He's sitting with the guards warming himself. Anything wrong there? One thing you could think of, I mean, Peter is, he's looking to be comfortable while Jesus is suffering. (laughs) That's a whole different message. Man, the comfort and ease of the United States of America. And and I don't want to, I don't, uh, but just, just to think, as Jesus is suffering here, and Peter looking to be comfort, comfortable. But, but really, I, I want to really land on these words. He's sitting with the guards. Um, these are the same people that are beating Jesus, spitting on him, mocking him. And then Peter's sitting with them. I'm going to call this point sitting with the world. If you're taking notes, fifth step, sitting with the world. Now, we, we live in this world. And, and we need to have contact with people of this world. And man, there are precious souls out there that need the Lord. They need Jesus. And we ought to be going out into the world. We ought to have friends that we are going out to our neighbor's houses. Or, 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 or friends and family, co-workers that don't know the Lord. And yes, we need to love them. And we need to be trying to influence them with the gospel. Rather than them influencing us with the world. And the whole, everything that this Disneyland offers that wants to draw us away from the Lord. But here it seems, what a picture of, of Peter. He's sitting with these guards, the same people that are mocking the enemies. They're, they're the enemies of Jesus. And he's sitting with these people, just kind of looking to be comfortable. We've already seen, he's following Jesus, but at a distance. I'm a secret Christian. Don't tell anybody. <laughs> he's sitting with the world. You know, this, it's like the exact same, it's the exact opposite of Psalm 1-1. And many of you have that memorized. Can somebody quote that, Psalm 1-1? Just the first verse. Blessed is he. 
Yeah, but this is exactly what Peter is doing. He's sitting in the seat of scoffers. He's with these people, sitting with the world, sitting with the world. One thing I want to just, um, just say right here, this is a quote um, from a, a preacher. I won't tell you his name. God doesn't call us to be comfortable. He calls us to trust him so completely that we are unafraid to put ourselves in situations where we will be in big trouble if he doesn't come through. Um, Hebrews 11. The writer of Hebrews 11 gets to the end of that famous passage of, of heroes of the faith. And he gets to the end of that passage and he's just like, and what more shall I say? For the time would fail me to tell of Gideon and Barak, of Samson and Jephthah, also of David and Samuel and the prophets, who through faith subdued kingdoms, worked righteousness, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the violence of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, out of weakness were made strong, became valiant in battle, turned to flight the armies of the aliens, women received their dead, raised to life again, others were tortured, not accepting deliverance that they might obtain a better resurrection. And, and it, it goes on and on. And, oh, I just love that passage. These guys were strangers and aliens in the world. Just pilgrims passing through. Some of them saw great triumph and victory. And others tasted martyrdom and death. It, extremely difficult situations. But by faith they did these things. And in God's eyes, both camps are victors, conquerors, overcomers. Where are the men like that? Conquerors, overcomers, pilgrims in this world. I'm just passing through. And Peter right here, you, you kind of get this. He's sitting with the world. He, he's following at a distance. The exact opposite of Psalm 1. He's looking to be comfortable when Jesus is suffering. And you? Okay, let's go through the steps one more time. Number one, Peter's, he's, he's, he's going good with the Lord. And then, pride, confidence in himself. Step, one step away. Second step, sleeping when he should have been praying. Third step, he's using the wrong sword, neglecting his Bible. Fourth step, following at a distance. Fifth step, Sitting with the world. I'm going to the world. See you guys. Okay, no. I've, I've decided to come back and repent. Look, look at this. Look at okay, this, how it all ends right here. Verses 66 to 72. The last, I just, to, to wrap up. Look at how this ends. And Peter was below in the courtyard. So he's prepared himself for this major fall. He set himself up. He's taking these small steps without even probably recognizing what he's doing. But he is, when you, when there is somebody, a believer, a brother or a sister that has a major fall, it's not because it just happened from one moment to the next. No, 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 no. You set yourself up. You prepared yourself for this fall. You took steps away from the Lord. And your fall will be great. Look at this. As Peter was below in the courtyard, one of the, servant girls of the, uh, one of the servant girls of the high priest came, and seeing Peter warming himself, she looked at him and said, You also were with this Nazarene, Jesus. But he denied it and said, I neither know nor understand what you mean. And he went out into the gateway, and the rooster crowed. And the servant girl saw him and began again to say to the bystanders, This man is one of them. But again he denied it. 
And after a little while, the bystanders again said to Peter, Certainly you are one of them, for you are a Galilean. But he began to invoke a curse on himself and to swear, I do not know this man of whom you speak. And immediately the rooster crowed a second time, and Peter remembered how Jesus had said to him, Before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. And he broke down and wept. You know, that's kind of the only good thing that Peter did in this entire passage, those last few words. He broke down and wept. And you know, I kind of think that maybe there's some of us that need to just go home and get down on our knees, break down, and weep. It's the only good thing that Peter does in this passage. But you see a repentant heart. He's broken over his sin. How can I possibly? I denied him three times. I wasn't praying when I should have been. I've been such an arrogant fool. I'm not using my Bible like I should be. I'm following the Lord at a distance. Look at me. I'm sitting with the world. I'm not standing for Jesus in the midst of this crooked and perverse generation. I'm sitting with them, kind of hiding out, being like them. Look at how far I've fallen. And he gets to this point, he's just, he's broken, and and he, he, he weeps. Does anybody remember in the book of Luke? Luke tells this same story. And right when Peter denies the Lord for the third time, does anybody remember what, what happens? I mean, the, the rooster, but yeah. Jesus looks at him. Can you imagine that? Jesus is, I don't know, how, maybe he's 20 yards away, 30, maybe, maybe he's 10 yards away. And Peter's kind of there, he's like kind of hiding out. And Jesus, he, he, but Peter uh, denies him for the third time, and Jesus just at that moment looks right at him, eye to eye. What, what must have been in that look? I, I'm, sure, I'm sure it wasn't, I told you so. There, there has to have been love. There must have been so much love in, in those eyes as he looks at Peter. But there must have been something of, of sadness also. Why don't, why don't we all just close our eyes right now? And imagine that, that Jesus is looking at you eye to eye right now. And he knows everything that you did and said and how you spoke to your spouse and the things that you looked at, the things that you thought. He knows it all, everything that happened just last week. And he's looking at you eye to eye. What are in those eyes? You know, Judas had a major fall kind of simultaneously with Peter. But Judas, he was just remorseful. Remorseful about the consequences. But here Peter, he's broken. He broke down and he wept. We see a repentant heart. And though this fall of Peter ends up being kind of like this trampoline that launches him to greater heights than ever. Oh, brother or sister, if you have fallen, or you're at this point, you're like the fourth step or the, the fifth step, and Jesus is looking at you eye to eye, and you know that you've drifted so far. Man, come back to him. 
Come back to the Lord. There is so much love in those eyes, and he's inviting you to come back to him. Get right. Start to be one of those that is following him all out for the Lord, whatever the cost. And Peter is restored, and you see this in John. At the end of John, Jesus says to him three times, just like he denied him three times, Jesus says, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? And then Peter is restored, and once again, that fall acts, it's almost like this trampoline that launches him up to greater heights and usefulness in the Lord. Oh, to be a useful instrument in the hands of the Lord. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. Brothers and sisters, let us dash to the finish line. Just thinking once again of Gene. Man, a life well lived for the Lord. Dashing towards the finish line. Where are the men? Give me a man. Give me a man. Give me a man. Oh, but the warnings, the pitfalls along the way, the warnings that we see there in, in, in Matthew 14. Peter did one thing well, though. He was broken and he repented, came, came back to the Lord, unlike Judas, who hanged himself. Let's pray. Lord God, we just thank you for your word. Thank you for this story in Mark 14. And Lord, I've, I've failed miserably at, at opening your word and trying to preach it once again. It's just what an impossibility to preach your word as it should be preached. But Lord, as I've just kind of babbled along, I pray that you would use some of these verses, some of these points in this passage to wake some of us up. Oh Lord, I need it. I need to be reminded of these things. I've neglected prayer. I've been prideful in so many ways. I'm not using my sword as often as I should. I'm kind of following you at a distance. Lord, in many ways, I've just kind of sat with the world. Oh Lord, we thank you for this wake-up call that we find in this passage right here. Help us to draw near to you while there's still time. Standing here at the end of the ages, help us to feel that sense of urgency and to live this life well, dashing toward the finish line. We thank you for Gene and his testimony and what a life, what a life. What an example. Help us to dash to the finish line, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. At this time, we are going to take time to remember how it is that we're able to dash to the finish line and the gift that was given so that we could come back, uh, so we could come to the Lord. And that is because he broke his body and he shed his blood uh, to forgive us of our sins because we are all uh, prone to fail and we all are tempted to draw away but yet there is mercy and grace at the cross and so i'd like to invite you to pray with me as we prepare to take the elements of the communion and if you're new to our church we do this every sunday i hope it's not a redundancy it's an intentionality to focus on the forgiveness that's there in christ we ask you to come forward as you feel led and take the bread with the tongs and then take the cup and you can take it back to your seat or you can take it while you're here let's pray father in heaven uh, we thank you for Jesus and for 
the sacrifice on the cross that makes it possible for us as frail and faulty and fallen human beings to find forgiveness through faith or trust in you and because your body was broken and because you rose again the third day we can have victory and we rejoice in that and we give you thanks in it even as we take time to examine our hearts and to confess our tendencies lord our pride as we confess that lord we have been those sleeping and not praying as we confess that we are the ones who've used our human swords and not your word as we have uh, followed you at a distance instead of boldly and sat with the world. We confess it, trust you for your forgiveness and believe you for it and rejoice in it in Jesus' name. Amen.